Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. I was recording, I guess, by the way, but it didn't really matter. Hello? There you go. And just like I predicted, the thunderstorm just killed our internet. <laughs> so we'll do it over the phone. Okay. Uh, it'll, it will make it work one way or another. So as we were just discussing, what, what got you into coon hunting? Um, grew up with a huge interest and desire to hunt, fish, shoot, all that. I got to fish a little bit, but there was nobody in my family that would uh, that would hunt. So joined the army in 87 and uh ended up in third range battalion at fort benning and was an anomaly in that i didn't drink party and run to bars and all that so pretty much nothing to do um ended up with a roommate um, out of north georgia that was big time bass fisherman and uh we fished from a bank of time or two bought us a little john boat started fishing and then right when I got back from uh, U.S. Army Ranger School, right before Operation Just Cause, the Panama invasion, I had a Kansas boy that ended up being Sergeant Major in Delta Force. And he said, hey, Chuck, we're going to deer hunt. I, I didn't argue with him. So I went out and bought a Browning 7 mag. And first uh, first day deer hunting, five minutes into it, I shot a six-point, and I was hooked. Um, so that was in 89. And then about middle way through season, we got alerted to go to Panama and that ended that season. Uh, the next year I started hunting on my own and became an avid, avid deer hunter. And then, uh, once I started dating my wife, her dad ran deer dogs in Alabama and, uh, got into that. That was my first taste with hounds and did a little hog hunting, a little bird hunting, and then got into the coon hunting. That's, uh, that's interesting. It's, you talked about running, running deer with dogs and that's one of the things that's just, almost time. synonymous with the south yeah yes yeah they don't do it anywhere else so uh, i mean when i heard of that i was like eh, that's not moral you know yeah. <laughs> growing up in michigan <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've told people i was like yeah i went dog hunting with my buddy they're like why why are you hunting people's dogs <laughs> i'm like no 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 <laughs> we're using dogs to run deer and yeah. I, I it really only happens i think uh Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, some in Louisiana. South Carolina. Arkansas. South Carolina. South Carolina. Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. South Arkansas. Yeah. North Carolina. And then even all of the states you mentioned, it's I don't know of anywhere around here that you can run dogs anymore. I think it's pretty much South Alabama, South Georgia. It's um, actually 
either you either in Georgia, it's the county. A lot of the counties border the Florida line, or they're in the far okay. southeast part of, of Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah which well, sparsely populated. They still do run a lot in, in South Carolina, though, too. Yep. And they run a lot around us. Um, yeah. We've got a big track of uh, national forest that they run in right the street from us. It's like 40,000 acres. Yeah. Like but they they break could, that down. You, into... pay me to get, you couldn't, couldn't pay me to get back into that hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't help if they did. You'd spend all your money on the dogs and, and everything else. But, of course, I'm sure uh, coon hunting can be quite the same way. Yep. Uh, so, so how did you get into coon hunting? Um, so are you recording now or I am? Okay. Uh, so I did the deer hunting, um, with the dogs a season was going into my next season. I had left third range of battalion on a green to gold scholarship. So I was poor as dirt living, uh, in a crummy powder town in phoenix city alabama i went to college across the river in uh columbus columbus state university uh working on uh, getting my degree and get my commission i don't remember why i was walking there was the riverview apartment projects was close to me i don't know my truck was broken down or what i worked construction back then was walking and a young kid african-american kid about 10 11 years old walked up and said hey ain't you the hound dog man and I had a few hound dogs in my backyard where I was running the deer dogs, a couple running tree and walkers. But I kind of laughed because the, I caught so much crappy and catfish back then. I used to go into the projects and give them to the, uh, black folks in the projects. And they called me Fishman. They saw my little black truck. They'd holler out, hey, Fishman, you know, see if I had any. So I was used to be called Fishman. He called me Hound Dog Man. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> but uh, I laughed. said, yeah, I've got some. And he said, can I see them? And we weren't a couple hundred yards from my house so i said sure so him and a group of kids followed me over to the house and uh they looked at my hound dogs and we threw a football around a little bit and they left and then that kid his name was Irvin. he came back with some boys a few days later and uh, he kept coming down i had a litter of puppies just half breed fox dog coon dog and people started stealing them Irvin to go out and steal them back and bring them back to me but <laughs> we, we started uh fishing together. Uh, I started teaching him to shoot, taught him, started out with an air rifle, then moved him up to a 22, did a little squirrel hunting um, with the aim of taking him uh, deer hunting down to the dog camp that I was hunting in South Alabama. And we just became good friends. Uh, got to the end of deer season and uh, he always called me Charlie. And he said, Charlie, we need to talk. I said, okay, what about? And uh, he said, we need to get into coon hunting. And I thought, where the heck does he even know anything about coon hunting? And he had seen the movie where the red fern grows. And I said, well, <laughs> why would we coon hunt? I hadn't even seen the movie yet. And uh, he said, well, if we had a coon dog, we could hunt all year round, not just during deer season. And I found a $200 blue tick female in the one ads of the newspaper that was worthless, but we bought it. We knew absolutely nothing. We had no coon hunting equipment. Uh, me and Irvin went out to the creeks on fort benning turned that joker loose and we ran with it we didn't know what we were doing and we went everywhere the dog went we chased armadillos and fox and possums and what have you and we did that tried a couple other uh dog jockey you know low-end dogs out and i came to the conclusion i don't know how to coon hunt um but the next deer season was coming in it had come in in georgia and uh i climbed up in a deer stand i just spent a whole week in the field i got commissioned um, was going to the entry officer basic course at Benning, climbed up in a deer stand after being in the field a week, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was black. I mean, just dark. 
But I thought, hmm. I said, well, I may just sit here till morning and then hunt, uh, hunt first light. I was kind of debating myself on that. And all of a sudden, off in the distance, I heard this, oh, oh. And I said, that gum. I ain't never heard a coyote like that. And I, I was experienced with hound dogs. It just didn't strike me. There was a hound at first. I heard it. I said, that's a hound. As a matter of fact, that sounds like a blue tick. And uh, I thought, I said, that's got to be a coon hunter. So I shimmied down a tree and took off running, jumped in my little Toyota. And I started running a kind of a dirt road along a ridge, listening to the another dog that joined in, squealing mouth female. And I heard him tree. And when I heard him tree, I cut down a little dirt uh, tank trail, got down in the bottom. There sat a white Chevy pickup truck with a dog box. And I could see lights off in the woods. They were going to the um, dogs. I heard them shoot out a coon. They were heading back to uh, their truck, and they were going all a little off kilter. And I climbed up on the guy's uh, tailgate, and I said, hey, your dogs are over here, and or your truck's over here. And uh, all the lights went out, went black, went silent. Uh, hmm, it's odd. And <laughs> directly, I see them. Oh, yeah, I thought I was a gang. The funny thing was they were legal, but they thought I was uh, MPs. Oh, and, oh okay. Uh, so... <laughs> Bobby was, Bobby would have been about 46, 47 then. Bobby Phillips. He was the coon hunter. He popped his face out of the bushes and he said, who the hell are you? And I said, my name's Chuck. I heard your dogs. I wanted to see him. And he went to cussing a blue streak, said, uh, we thought you was the MPs. I threw down my rifle, threw down my coon. And I said, well, I'll help you go find them. So we <laughs> went out in the woods. He had his, uh, had his 12 year old son, Brad, and, uh, some goofball guy that, uh, got permission to hunt Fort Benning. I never don't remember much about him, but we found it came out and he just kind of looked at me odd. Like, who's this man out in the middle of the woods by himself at night, chasing down me and my dogs. And he said, are you a coon hunter? And I said, uh, kinda. He said, do you have dogs? And I said, I got one. And he said, uh, well, who'd you get it from? And I said, Joe Bellflower. And he said, you ain't got dogs. You got crap eaters. Where did that <laughs> I said, well, that's probably the size of it. And he said, do you want a coon hunt? I said, yeah, I, I want a coon hunt. So he got a little notepad out and said, give me your number. You know, this was 1995, so before the days of cell phone. Right. And uh, I remember going home telling my wife, I said, that man's not going to call you. He called a day or two later. And uh, we met up on Victor Drive, went on to Fort Benning, and we hunted. Um, I went to take off with his dogs. He's like, what the hell are you doing? I said, we're going with the dog. He said, you don't go with the dogs. You're staying here and listen. He said, them jokers will kill you trying to keep up with them. He said, they'll be a mile through the woods before you know it. They went, I don't know, maybe five, 600 yards and struck a track and treed. And I, he looked at me kind of strange because you know, being a prior army ranger, I could not stand and not know exactly where I am on the ground at all times. That's that land navigation. So I always carried a map in my pocket, acetated map in the, pull out my map and compass and I said well if we could just walk these railroad tracks it'd be faster than driving around we got to walking down the railroad tracks and uh Bobby went to this is before his church going days he went to cussing a blue streak again I said what's wrong now he said well I keep my 22 shells in a medicine bottle and uh I filled it up laid it on the cabinet or the countertop and I don't have any 22 shells to shoot a coon out I said well that's okay I'll just climb the tree and knock it out he said son you ain't seen the size of trees that coons go up. And I said, yeah, and you ain't seen me climb trees. And uh, <laughs> he uh, he kind of laughed, kind of like, okay, smart Alec. Well, we got in there, and he's an expert. There's a real skill to finding coons in a tree. They don't just sit where you can see them. They're experts at hiding themselves. But Bobby found him, and he kind of looked at me like, okay, there, smart Alec. That tree's is about as big as a Volkswagen at the base. Well, I looked, and there was a tree adjacent to it that grew up into it. 
and uh, kind of walked back. I didn't have waders or, you know, the headlight or none of that. I just had a handheld flashlight, a hand bobby my light. I said, shine it up in that tree. He said, okay. I jumped straight up in the air and the, the limbs were you know, about big around as your fingers. I grabbed two handfuls and like a monkey hand over hand went up that tree and uh, climbed over to the other, went up in the top and knocked the coon out and uh, climbed back down. Bobby said, I've hunted all my life. I ain't never seen that done before. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I used to do tree surgery work and done a little climbing in my day. And we, I mean, Bobby is the best friend I've ever had in my life. We've been hunting like close to 30 years now. Uh, just left his house a little bit ago, out helping him uh, with a new dog he got. And we're still hunting together. You know, it, it's throughout this story, you, you reminded me of, of, admittedly, I have never been coon hunting in my life. Um, but if two, you're smart, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I'm smart, I'll find somebody to go with and not get my own <laughs> dogs. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, the you you brought up some stuff that reminded me of two of my three biggest imp- inspirations to want to go on a coon hunt. And that was, one, the red fern grows. All right. Yep. And, and having never coon hunted, read the book several times, read it myself, read it to my son, watched the movie. And then you talked about climbing the tree and you reminded me of the coon hunting monkey Jerry by Clower. Jerry Clower. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, that was the first thing I thought of when he said he was going to climb the tree. I said, it's like Jerry well, Clower's monkey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't thinking of the monkey story. I was more thinking of knock him out, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Clower had more jokes and stories about coon hunting than I think he did just about anything else. Yep. Pretty much. And now the third one, though, was a, a fond memory from my childhood. Uh, when, when we used to hunt, we hunted in Blakely, Georgia. And I think we left that camp when I was probably 14 years. It's been, man, close to 20 years since we've hunted there. Um, but used to be, we didn't have a TV. We've never been big on watching TV, the hunting camp, but there's always been a radio and there was a radio station that came in on that boom box radio. My dad had sitting on top of the camper that every Saturday night they would go coon hunting on the radio (laughs) and people would call in from all around the state of Georgia you just hear the dogs and talking about coon hunting for hours and hours on that radio station. And that was one that I, I always look forward to staying up on a Saturday night and listening to them run coon hounds on the radio. I do remember I'd one like thing. That. One thing about it is uh, on that same, when they were going coon hunting, there was at one point where they always played the squirrel went berserk in the Antioch Baptist Church. <laughs> 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 they did fit a little music in there. Yeah. I've hunted Blakely, Georgia. Have you? Yep. Matter of fact, I've got a kind of interesting coon hunt story out of Blakely. Oh, well, let's hear it. Uh, so, I don't know. Let me think how I can tell this one. Um, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby you know, had a brother. I, I t- before, I, before I let you start, I'll tell you, in my experience, those are the best stories when somebody has to decide how they're going to tell it in order to for either for some people to remain anonymous or to – to make sure it all gets out in the in the proper way. The, yeah, those in the, the, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So, I apologize. There was a, 
Bobby's had an older brother named Dana. He's passed on I think right before I went to Afghanistan. Dana passed on. So it had been 2010. Um, and he was a card himself. He was just hilarious. Um, but we were going to meet his brother. And then there was a man named Cope that Coon hunted in Blakely. Um, so me and Bobby headed down there. Bobby had the big blue tick. His name was Jason. Absolute best dog I've ever been in the woods with. And I'm a red bone man, but uh, had Jason and his black uh, tan female named Cindy. And we pull up at the hunting camp. You know, it was probably a deer camp and whatever else, but, you know, coon hunters there too. So he said, go in, tell Dana I'm here. So I knock on the door and said, uh, come on in. And Dana's sitting in a chair. There's a fellow sitting across named Cope. I shake his hand. And then all of a sudden I got the feeling that I could, it's like I could sense eyes on me. And I turned to my left, and I'm not saying it to be smart. There was an old black gentleman off to my left, and and I mean so dark skin. He was just real dark, but he was ashy. I mean, that's I teach in a predominantly black school, and that's what the black kids call it when your skin gets kind of flaky and it gets ashy looking. So he almost looked ghost-like, and I kind of you know did a double take, and uh, they introduced him to me. I don't remember his name, but they called him Preacher. He was an old preacher man. So I went over and shook his hand. And within seconds, you could tell he's just a car. He's just, you know, a comical guy. And uh, so we shake hands and talk a little bit. So I ended up went outside and Bobby was doing something to back the truck. I said, hey, Bobby, I said, don't do any cussing tonight. He said, why not? I said, because there's a preacher hunting with us. And Bobby just grinned a little bit. Didn't, uh, didn't say nothing. And directly the old preacher man came out and I introduced Bobby to him and said, you know, this is preacher so-and-so. They shook hands and the old preacher man said, what kind of, what kind of hound you hunt, Mr. Bobby? And Bobby said, I hunt a blue dog. He said, let me see him. So Bobby opened the box, uh, dog box and, uh, outstepped Jason. <laughs> the old black man said, uh, well, that MF or tree of coon. <laughs> I kind of looked, uh, I ain't never heard a preacher talk like that. And, uh, we got in, uh, in the truck was driving on Bobby said, you got my, this is rural deep South. He said, uh, they may call him preacher. It's more of a position he's got in his community. He said, uh, he probably drinks as much whiskey and raises as much cane as anybody you ever met, but he, he's the preacher man. <laughs> I never, I uh, wasn't expecting him to, I tried to keep it clean, but that's exactly yeah. what he said. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of my fondest memories of deer hunting come out of Blakely, Georgia. Uh, we we hunted there. I mean, that was that was the first place that I ever really re- remember making a memory deer hunting, yeah. because my dad hunted there from the time I was maybe five or six years old. It was about my son's age until I was mm, twelve or thirteen or so. And uh, well, at that one specific camp, we hunted there a lot longer than that. Yeah, because we went another four hundred yards down the road. Yeah, and picked moved. up another piece of property. We lost that lease and moved literally about a quarter mile down the road to the other side of the road and hunted there for two or three years. And it was it's, but a lot of really fond memories of that place. I, I remember being there, like you said, before cell phones were real big, and, my, and having to leave our camp and go to the oh, Colomoki yeah. Mound State Park to use the payphone to use the payphone <laughs> yeah. to call home to mom. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, and then, uh, when my dad finally, his work gave him a bag phone. So then we had to stand on top of the toolbox of the truck and he would hold the bag phone up in the air while you talked to home on the bag phone. Yeah. I mean, that was back in the days when we thought we were hot because we had a cordless phone in the house. Yep. I remember that. Uh, The bag phone. Uh, so when I 
got commissioned, my first duty station after I left Benning was Fort Bragg. And I hunted Bragg hard, hunted a lot by myself, met a few hunters up there. But we were on recall. Um, so when I was on recall, I'd have to have that bag phone and, you know, keep it with me while I coon hunted. That's interesting. So are you, uh, y'all hunted Georgia a good bit. Are you tracking the politics and the intersection of coon hunting, turkey hunting, and deer hunting and the bill sitting on the governor's desk? Uh, possibly. Which bill? The, you can kill raccoons year round now. I heard about it and I fully support it. I I support it on the fact that it, it, they do prey heavily on turkey nest and uh, it, it would do a good deal for quail populations and turkey populations. And I know that maybe the, the coon hunting kind of takes a back seat to other things, whether it be the healthiest thing to hunt coons year round. Um, because I don't, it's not as popular as deer hunting or turkey hunting or, uh, other, it's not as much of a revenue builder. For yeah, the state. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I'm very interested to hear your take on it. So I try to be a critical thinker. I try to, anything I attack or look at, I try to look at it every angle from every person's position, be open-minded. And I've done a little study on this. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, politicians don't generally solve problems. They just create bigger and newer ones. And then they <laughs> yeah. come up with, uh, with new rules to say, you can't talk about the problem they solved because that violates political correctness. It's just my opinion. Right. Um, that's it, why I, it's okay. Left you, the army as a lieutenant colonel, not a colonel. The, um, uh, your opinions are shared, uh, probably well far beyond this room, uh, to our listening. Audience. <laughs> yeah. So here's, uh, here's what I see happen a number of years back. I don't know the exact year is, the deer hunters wanted to be able to hunt over bait corn, which I'm not against. Um, so when they pass that, you've got trough feeders, you got spin feeders, you got all manner of type feeders, and people started artificially feeding deer. Um, as anybody knows, it puts a feeder out for deer. The mask bandits steal 90% of the corn, the deer get the other 10%. So what we've done is we've artificially fattened the coon population we made them explode um and we feed our deer heavily during deer season before deer season when deer season ends we quit putting the feed to them so now you've got this welfare program for the coon that ends and now they're hungry and when they go on the forage the easiest quail eggs turkey eggs and so they're eating that so the quail turkey um and other you know ducks and all that um have been somewhat decimated now one of y'all in the room i don't know who said something about the coon hunters are less populated i did um, yeah. We're, yeah we're kind of the trailer trash of the hunting crowd and I, you know i say that tongue-in-cheek but you, we're, you we're said a, it not me <laughs> yeah we're a smaller population um and you know, not that many people do it this is my opinion uh we we pooped on our own front porch but we also get lumped in with the deer hunters with dogs. And what I'm saying is there's been some of my brethren that are coon hunters that went on the land that wasn't there. So they cut a fence, they cut a lock on a gate and they coon hunted somebody else's property and somebody else got mad about it. And it gave all coon hunters a bad name. The deer hunters that were hunted with dogs were famous for doing it. I remember when I lived in North Carolina, it was kind of a make sure you had something about coon hunting on your dog box because if they thought you had deer dogs they'd bust your windshield out um so coon hunters kind of got a bad rap 
Well, when the overpopulating of the coons decimated the turkey, turkey hunters have money. There's politicians that turkey hunt. Deer hunters. I mean, there's just a lot more deer hunters. They, they're a bigger vote. They've got more ear of, you know, local congressmen, mayors, and, you know, whoever. So this new fix it of we're going to fix the problem by allowing you to trap raccoons and, and hunt them year round. Um, that'll fix it. And so the, the coon hunters go to pearl clutch and say, oh my God, they're going to kill all the raccoons. Well, here's my opinion. Most of us that aren't coon hunters would rather be golfing this time of year, fishing or sitting in the air conditioning to do a podcast or something like that. We don't want to be out in the palmetto bushes putting live traps out or leg traps or whatever, killing raccoons because it's hard work. There's no money in it. The the coon hides have literally dropped to nothing because of the PETA crowd. So in the long run, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of change. No, here's what I do believe. If you're a coon hunter and you're worth your salt and you can actually write a paragraph, get on the deer hunting web pages, uh, Facebook pages, introduce yourself, uh, let people know you're willing to hunt their land. And if, you know, there'll be some deer hunters out there that then will say, hey, the way to control it is after season, bring in Chuck Pudel and his red bone. We'll let him hunt for a couple months and he'll thin the population. I did just that. I netted thousands of acres of land and I don't need it. I've got Fort Benning. I got 200 square miles of Fort Benning. I don't need any land, but I've got extra uh, deer hunt land all over Georgia because I introduced myself and, and sold it. So I believe it's going to be not politicians. I believe the turkey hunters, deer hunters, coon hunters kind of working together can probably fix the, the problem more than any, uh, any bill will. Hopefully I wasn't too uh, long winded on that, but that's just my take. No, Absolutely. no, it makes sense. I think you're hundred percent right there. You know, this goes far beyond the the hunting realm, but it really applies there in the fact that, you know, either united we stand or separate we fall. Uh, they, the anti-hunting groups attack hunting from the easiest fronts. And yep. the first place they go is for any kind of hunting that takes place with dogs. Yep, bear right now. Bear, we yeah. see it here in Florida with the with the running deer with dogs, um, and it happens all over the United States. Well, white-tailed deer is the number one hunted species in the United States, and ninety-eight percent of that happens without dogs. It's still hunting or stand hunting, however you want to uh, refer to it as, and I, I think that, and I. We've seen it, Briar and I especially, uh, with how I've seen both sides of the coin. We had a lease in uh, southeast Georgia when I was stationed at Fort Stewart. And we had a dog club on one side of our 900 acres that paid zero respect to us, trespassed on our property all the time, stole stuff from us. It was a constant battle keeping them on their side of the line. And then on the other side of the 900 acres, we had the best club you could ever ask for. And they ran yeah. dogs all the same. Yep. I've seen it both ways. I mean, to the point that when when I moved away from Hinesville, Georgia, back to Florida after I got out of the Army, I talked to their club president. I said, man, I, I don't have a place to stay anymore, but I've got a camper. Can I put it in your camp? He said, absolutely. Yeah. So we hunted a separate piece of property, moved right into their camp, spent every night with them at camp. They made us dinner and breakfast and, you know, they made fun of us because they ate breakfast while we were sitting in the tree stand. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but they were just a great, excellent, an excellent group of people. And I think another thing we see a lot that, that a lot of, uh, I would say still hunters give dog hunters crap for is that they, they tell you, well, they shoot anything that comes across the road. Not true. Not at that place. Yeah. No, they didn't. Yeah. That it, yeah. it happened, right? Because they had, they had 10,000 acres they hunted on. Um, their lease was, was ginormous, but they had some, so they had like 20 something members that would come through there. Yeah. Every night when they'd finish, when they finished the hunt, they'd come back, they'd organize the next day who, who was going to drop dogs first, who was going to be the hunt master, who was dropping dogs second, third, yeah. fourth, how everything was going to yeah. run just a, like a, a choreographed was, play that, that happened well the next morning. machine there. Yeah. And like an then, operations order. Yeah, oh, they absolutely. Went, they went and drug roads after the hunt and everything so oh, they yeah. could get fresh yep. tracks next day. Yeah. Yep. And then you, you'd you have the the new guy come in, he'd, he'd shoot a spike, and he'd just be tickled pink about it. No, sir. The mm-hmm. club president was not having that. That was against the rules. He told you that. you get a fine. They yep. killed a monster 14-point in they front ki- of dogs. They killed a couple. Of they killed a couple big bucks out of there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over dogs. Yeah. And but they managed for those bigger deer, and they were they were adamant about only shooting the bigger deer, mm-hmm. and it made a big difference in the it area. Did. Now the other club, they they just, shot just the same out in front of them. Yeah, just the same as we had an issue with them. So did the other dog club because yeah, we only took up a very small portion. We had a six hundred acre piece, uh, six hundred and sixty something acres, and in, in one piece and. Uh, a little over 200 in the other that came yeah. out, I want to say, just shy of 900 acres across our two pieces of uh, yeah. uh, property we hunted. And the 600-acre piece, we had both clubs on opposite sides of our of our 600-acre piece. Our 200-acre piece down the street, we only had the one club that was just awesome to us. Yeah. And uh, we actually went to the point where we went out and got the same uh, VHF radios they were running. We got handheld radios. So that we could sit in the deer stand and listen to them talk on their radios, truck to truck. And when I told their club president, I was like, hey, we can hear you. We're listening to you where you're running dogs. Every time their dogs would turn towards our property, they'd come across the radio and let us know, hey, the dogs are coming your way. Get ready. Yeah. Then they'd always run the property line, though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. When they weren't there, though, they'd run out onto the property. Yeah. If we weren't there. The deer would run through the property. If we were there sitting in the stand ready, right on the property line. Yep. <laughs> but uh, they were they were big on, you know, uh, giving us a call. Hey, our dogs are, are you know, stuck up in the in the swamp on your 200-acre piece. Can we go get our dogs? Absolutely. It, it got on. to a point where I told the gentleman, I, I said, look, if we're here, I said, just give us a call and let us know you're coming in so we know you're coming. But if we're not, dude, put a lock on our gate and go get your dogs. You don't have to call me on that. Because he was calling me on the cell phone. I'm down in Florida. Hey, can I go get my dogs? I was like, yeah, man, absolutely you can go get your dogs. Yep. <laughs> so you don't you don't need when, to ask me anymore. When I got into it here, I got in with a group of mostly older men. And they had hunted, you know, since they were young men. And it was the same way. Back in the day, they could pay 50 bucks. It was mead and craft and all those paper mill lands. And they had, you know, 10,000 acres to run on, and some of the land never even got ran. Um, this is the way they hunted. Well, as time went on, you had the doctors and the lawyers and the rich folks out of Atlanta and Florida, you know, started leasing more and more land. Uh, you know, they could get more for it. And we ended up down to about 500 acres. 
um, which was not enough. Uh, I'd gotten up a pretty good little pack of dogs, and I will never forget. Um, I was on a, a barbed wire fence, uh, took my dogs and started heading in. They jumped, and they turned around, and they got past me, and they uh, took off across that you know barbed wire fence, a big pasture. And uh, I kind of started heading that way. I was going to try to catch them. And directly, I heard them barking, just like baying, just barking. And I said, well, they're not running. And uh, I got to the fence, and I looked up, and they were tied on a logging chain by a barn. And I saw two men up there. I was like, oh, that's awesome. They caught my dogs for me. I didn't think nothing of it. I jumped the fence, uh, had a shotgun in my hand, went walking up that hill, was going to thank them. I got about halfway up that hill, and the expletive started, and it's, we're going to shoot you, and blankety blank. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. I was like, well, one, I'm trespassing because I brought the shotgun. And uh, so I kneeled down, uh, laid the shotgun on the ground, uh, held my hands up. I said, I'm coming up here to get my dogs. And uh, they told me in not so friendly language, you're not coming to get the dogs. I said, no, I'm not leaving without them. And uh, so I walked up there. I was still a college student at that time. And uh, one said something about him. I, I knew they weren't going to shoot me, but said about, I'll shoot him. And then I said, he's, the other one said something about getting the law. I said, that's probably the best idea. Why don't you go get the law? And uh, so the old man uh, jumped up on a tailgate with his rifle across his lap. And uh, the other one took off. And I hate to say it. I actually thought about it. I said, I could knock that joker upside his head, um, put him to the ground, throw that rifle away, go get my dogs and get gone. I'm glad I didn't go with that option. I said, that's probably not the best way to handle this. So I just stood there and he kind of got not so mad. He looked at me, he said, you, you're a lot younger than the bunch over there. And I said, I am. He said, listen to me. He said, when you're fun encroaches on somebody else's fun it's time to get you some new fun i'll never forget that and i said well, what do you mean he said me and my brother-in-law don't get to hunt very often he said we both own businesses we farm and he said we climbed up in our deer stands he said we no sooner got there and your blankety blank dogs come running across he said you think we're going to see any deer now and i said probably not and uh you know i apologized to him and uh that was the last time i ever ran deer dogs um, with that camp I ended up uh, sold my deer dogs and, you know, I was already thinking about getting into the coon hunting after what Irvin had said. And it kind of ended as if you're going to do it, you got to have a lot of land and you can't be encroaching on other people's. That kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about it. And I just never did it again. I would say that running deer with dogs, um, it, it, if you're a still hunter around dog hunters, it, it doesn't mean you're not going to see deer. Yeah. But what it does do is it makes it very hard to pattern deer. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, so you don't know when or if you're going to see deer. Uh, but yeah. it, it, it's kind of that. That's one of the difficulties we face still hunting around that, that dog hunting club. But even the dog club, the yeah. 10,000 acre dog club, had, they had uh, still hunters, 10 or 12 still hunters that, that didn't run dogs. Yeah. They just still yeah. hunted the place. So now I will say, I'll throw this in um, tooting our horn. There's a lot of people that have a misconception that think, well, if the coon hunters come on, that's going to mess up uh, the deer and the, the patterns and all that. I can't tell you how many times when I'm going to my dogs that I walk by bedded deer that don't even get up, that are within 100, 200 yards of my dog tree in and pay it no attention. But my dogs stay on the creeks, the swamps. There's one of the, I hate to talk out of my think it was the university of south carolina did a peer-reviewed study on that topic and showed that running coon hounds at night has no negative effect on the deer hunting 
Now, I can understand a deer club saying we don't want coon hunters coming in during season, but I tell you, when the season's over, it's smart to let the coon hunters come in, especially if you still got corn in them feeders. And I mean, in a night, I mean, it ain't it ain't nothing to you know get ten, fifteen coons. Yeah, I've um, seen them hanging good, from the feeder good. motor and just spinning the thing to get the corn out of it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, tree them right next to the feeder. It's yep. the reason the reason deer run when they run them with deer dogs is because they're being chased. Yeah. Yes. That's it. If yep. you, if you, and if they know dogs, they're being chased. Yeah. yeah. I say, it better deer aren't stupid either. They you know they know if they lay there and stay still that they're less likely to be seen mm-hmm. if yes. you're not looking for them. Yep. I, I would say oh, it's, yeah. it's it's just purely a misconception. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and I don't know. It, it's something we have to work on as a community. We have got to work together because you, you get people don't want coming out people quail hunting any kind of dog whatsoever on their property in the summertime they don't want it there yep yep like well i'm not i'm not running deer on your property in fact you're probably doing more damage by running your side by side or four wheeler or whatever around all summer yeah doing what you're doing and yee-hawing around up there than than somebody who's going to come in at night and run coons is going to do yeah and <clears throat> that also comes I with actually- the Go ahead. Go ahead. I, for and I've done a lot of deer hunting too. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I got out when after nine eleven when the deployment started stacking up. I completely got out of coon hunting and stayed out of it for a long time. Only got back in about three years ago. Um, with deer hunting, I don't. I don't really. I got nothing against hunting over corn. I would rather go in in the springtime and put in feed plots a hundred to one, and then you know my fall feed plots then put corn out. Well, I think I, I think corn hunting over corn is a is a very uh, misconceived thing as well because I can I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've watched a deer come in and feed out of a feeder in front yeah. of me. They don't. They eat out of a feeder in the dark. Yep, they're not colonel. Uh, they're they're smarter than that. Yep. I mean, they may they may have done that <clears throat> right off the bat at one time before it was legal or right when it became legal, but they don't do that anymore. Yep. Um, yeah, and, they learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's generational. You know, does that have been shot at teach young and so on and so forth until that doesn't happen anymore. And the, the deer that I have seen come out and eat at a feeder, um, they they've been tiny deer. They, you know, deer the the of the year, uh, less than a year yeah. old or so. Yearly. Either that, or if they come out to the feeder, they'll feed a little bit and look up, look around, head down, look up, look around. They stay extremely vigilant. Yeah. I have shot deer near a feeder, but they were feeding in the food plot, not feeding at the feeder. Yep. Yeah. I, I think the yeah, food, food plots food are... Food plots, I think, are the way to go. They're far more effective. And, you know, we've actually found over the last couple of years, we took and put trough feeders out with protein in them that we didn't hunt over. We put them where you couldn't see them from a deer stand, and they're just there strictly for the deer to eat out of. And the deer visit those feeders in the daylight and eat out of them. It's a completely different topic, but we even, so we've got the, uh, a different dilemma. Uh, we put feeders out too, um, for coons and, uh, there's. Y'all just leave just like, like a garbage like, can open somewhere. Well, um, <laughs> just, just like the Northern deer hunters and the Southern deer hunters were different. I mean, hunting deer in Michigan versus, south joy is a completely different way of hunting oh absolutely um 
And if you've traveled around the U.S. much and hunted different, you know, it's different people hunt different ways, and you have to hunt because the train is different. I hunted a completely different way in uh, northwest Arkansas in the Ozarks than I did, you know, Fort Benning, Georgia. But coon hunting is the same way. If you want to train a coon dog puppy in Ohio, uh, where you have, you know, North Ohio with the cornfields, in between cornfields, you got little strips of woods. And each strip of wood has, you know, a quarter million raccoons that live in that little strip of woods because they, they're 40 pounds a piece and they feed on corn. You don't need uh, a, an old dog to train the young dog with. You can just, there's just raccoon everywhere. Right. Down here where we're at, I'm hunting for Benny. There is no peanut fields, soybean, corn, nothing. It's pine woods and little creeks. And the coons are 15 pounds and they'll run like a stripe at eight. Um, and you may have to have a dog to go a thousand yards to get one. So a, a feeder, um, I can take a five gallon bucket, uh, put a PVC nipple in the bottom of it, make a L shaped two by six hanger, put it four feet in the air. So the hogs can't get it, keep it filled, or I can take an old car tire, put it, there's different ways. But if you hunt those, you'll get dogs that are just short range. They're, they're, they become dependent on the feeder. So my feeders aren't so much to hunt my dogs off of. They're to give me a better coon population. And I keep them full during the spring um, when the females have kits. If I want to hunt them, I don't pull up and turn a dog loose on it. I'll back off four or 500 yards, send the dog down that creek. And if he hasn't struck by the time he got there, you know, he's still going, then he may strike off the feeder. Uh, I mean, there's different ways to make them, but it's the same thing. It's, it's figuring out what works, you know, kind of the biology of it, just like you do with your protein and your, in your trough feeders. Now I'm going to warn you before I ask you this question, this one is, this one's very loaded and you're probably going to make some people upset, (laughs) but what is the best breed of dog for hunting coons? Okay. It's funny you say that because most, there's another, you know, the absolute best breed of dog for tree and coons is walkers. And the reason I say that is because open up the, any PKC book, open up, you can see who's winning. The winningest dogs are walkers, but they're also the most prevalent. There's, you know, for every red bone, there's a hundred walkers out there. Now, when you say best, cause I have no, I mean, I like all breeds and I've hunted all. I'm a red bone man. That's what I'm raising and training. I'm, you know, my, the whole betterment of the breed. Um, I've hunted good in every, here's what happened to my breed. Number one, the red fern grows. So kids watch the movie where the red fern grows. And he says, I want a red bone. And he lives in a subdivision. Ain't never hunted in his life and never will. So that but allowed I, the red bone. Go I ahead. can guarantee you if he lives in a subdivision, he's got coons to hunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, so back in the day, um, it's like any movie comes out, you know, you get new Disney 101 Dalmatians or something. Every kid wants a Dalmatian, you get crappy breeding and, you know, so, or it's the bench show people, the bench show people, um, they breed specifically for a look. They don't care how the dog hunts and they breed the hunt out. So you got that small group of people like me that are breeding track power, tree power, accuracy, drive, stick a tree, you know. Good field variety dogs. Yeah. Yeah. But walkers are the winningest overall, but they're nope. not black and tan, blue tick, plot. I mean, I've seen every one. I've hunted good English. I've hunted good all of them. No, nobody really wants a walker dog that ain't hunting. Yeah. 
Yes. So that's, I think one good thing that you just said is the, I call her Susie subdivision. She's the ruin of, of many a breed. Yeah. Um, Labs. Are they included. generally, yeah, they generally, yeah, there you go. They generally aren't as interested in showing a Walker dog. So the yeah. walkers don't get bred specifically for show as much. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, if I ran UKC and I never will, you wouldn't get to show a dog unless you've already made a night champion out of it. Yeah. In the woods coon hunt. Then you could show one. That would get rid of the, the nonsense. But yeah, there's always that <coughs> what breeds best. Um, i tell you what I've had. I, best dog I've ever been to wood with was an old, uh, a blue tick. He was young when I started hunting. Um, but I've been good black and tans, good everything. No, I'll tell you, I have a blue tick. <clears throat> I have a blue tick hound. Um, and, uh, he is uh, a big baby. He's worthless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know because it's thundering outside right now in the storm. He is inside shaking like he's trying to crap a peach pit. <laughs> uh, now, do y'all, uh, this is something I got into a little bit back when I ran deer dogs. Do y'all have any dogs that blood track uh, wounded deer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Hunter's yes. does. Uh, Jordan, Jordan's dog. Um, Will, she's not, I haven't specifically trained her to do it. Not, I try to work her a little bit on it every year to get her in better and better, but yeah, I'll let her track mine, but I'm not going to solicit her to other people. She's, uh, she is, she's yet to track a deer that we couldn't have found without her. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she does a good job finding deer that we could otherwise find. I mean, I, I shot one last year. Um, that uh, Ray Charles probably could have tracked, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she found it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, those are, some people using the, the like the black mouth curs and different dogs. Those dogs are worth their weight in gold, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. the bow hunters. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I would say that 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 alone having those dogs that track wounded deer is becoming extremely popular. You see Facebook groups yeah. all over. Every state's got one. Yeah, we have a we have a Florida blood trailing network. Yeah. And if they have yeah. like a list of guys in each county and if you if you shoot a deer and you can't find it, then you just go to that list and call somebody and Yep. They'll come out for it. I met a preacher that does it, uh out in Missouri. Um and he makes a fair amount of money doing it. You know, I, I, I haven't what do you, what do you think you pay somebody like that? Because I've never seen advertised prices. So on the I know on the group they say that like you can't you're not supposed to ask somebody for necessarily money, but you show up expecting a tip. Yeah, right. So I guess that here would be the question: You shot what you know is the biggest rack you've ever seen, or you know you've ever shot. He's you know he's one fifty class. He's one set. Whatever's big to you. Being over one twenty is big for me. Um, and, and you tried tracking it, you shot him with your bow and it's kind of petered out and you like, you know what? I don't want to lose it. I'm calling him. What would it be worth to you? No, oh, it's definitely worth a hundred dollar bill to oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sure. I absolutely get a hundred bucks. I, I've been, especially with the price of gas and them coming to you nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, seriously, I don't know that I've, I've had one. The only, I've never at, up to day, up till today, Better knock, knock on, on that wood. table. Yeah. I've never shot a buck that I've needed, uh, that I thought I would have needed a dog for. Um, but I do. I, I haven't either. Say again. I haven't either. I shot a doe one time <laughs> that I knew I made a great hit on her. 
she wasn't but 40 yards, and I shot her with a 12-gauge rifled slug barrel. And I was on my hands and knees following blood the size of a pinhead in the dark. When I found that deer, I stood up and didn't know where I was. So that was that was interesting. I found my way back yep. out. Yeah. But that would have been the instance where I'd want to call a dog. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I've had instances where I have searched and searched and searched and searched and eventually found it. And it probably would have happened a lot faster had I called somebody with a dog. We talk about Mike's buck. Yeah. Yeah, well, shoot, well, he shot it. It was facing him, facing directly at him. So he shot it like dead center chest, and it just didn't bleed at all. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked, and we looked for three hours, never could find it. And I told him, I said, well, it had like five or six does with it. I said, I've seen those does run through here. I'm going to go walk over here. And it was laid up in a, we had just had a hurricane, uh, that had hit South Georgia. So it was a bunch of pine trees laid down and it was laid up inside a stack of pine trees. I believe it. He just never bled anywhere. I, we just kind of crisscross pattern the area until we found it. I've had, I shot a doe with a bow in uh, New York um, when I was teaching at West Point and went in, uh, went back to the house, ate breakfast, gave it a good while, went up, started tracking and pretty sure you could see it zigzagging, just blood everywhere. I was like, we're not going to take off. And then it just started straightening out, and then less blood, and then less blood, and then hour after, and then like you said, the little pin drop. Um, I washed it, um, ended up picked the trail back up, tracked another couple hours, and then it just went away. And then I don't know, maybe a month later, that deer had circled all the way back, came back to my deer stand within thirty yards of my deer stand, curled up in some bushes, and died. Jeez. Now that doe that I shot with the with the twelve gauge, that was the last time I shot. Uh, Remington three-inch Magnums, Sabo slugs, yep. because that bullet went in right behind her shoulder, came out the other side perfect, and never expanded. I had a three hundred eight do that once in Arkansas, um, but it went between two sets of ribs on one side, between two sets of ribs, hit no bone, like a laser beam going through. That's exactly um, what that twelve gauge did. And I couldn't uh, shoot a lever action Browning three hundred eight. And uh, my uncle had used it, had fell. And I was like, did he knock the scope off? And then I missed it. I was like, there's no way I missed it. I didn't shoot it maybe at 40, 50 yards from the standing. And uh, hunting snow, where you're going to see blood. Right. And uh, yeah. so I you know, found a knot on a tree shot. And I was like, nope, it's hitting. And I ended up just walking up a side of a mountain. All of a sudden, pin drop of blood and then blood everywhere. And I was like, how the heck did that happen? Well, you know, used my tractor, hung it up, skinned it. And I was like, ah, I see. I hit it high went uh you know like a laser beam through and it took a while for that blood to start filling up in the lungs before it ever started and then start finally started pouring out yeah yeah that uh i switched from those those remingtons to this federal have have not been able to find them since but it was a federal two and three quarter inch solid copper slug uh that was such a hollow point that you could blow across the top of that shell and make it whistle yep i've seen those before (laughs) And it's like that shoot, right there. It's like shooting them with a dang shot glass. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> when I shot deer with that thing, they did, the first deer I shot with it, uh, I shot a doe and she turned and ran. And when she turned and I saw her other side, there was a chunk of lung hanging out. I said, oh, she's done. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's I, I don't know that I've ever 
there, there's been some times, and I know eventually if I continue hunting, I will eventually need a dog. It's going to happen. Yeah. It, it's not something you plan for, uh, but it's nice to have that uh, an ace in your back pocket. A completely different topic. Uh, are, do you, are you noticing folks down there getting more into the squirrel hunting with the feist and the curse? You know, we, know we've got people. a lot of people in the squirrel hunting, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody bring a dog besides Jordan, but she yeah. just wanders around the woods while we hunt. She picks up a lot of the coon hunters um, that I know of, or a, a fair amount, are getting out of coon hunting and they're getting into the squirrel hunting. I don't know, maybe maybe that far south, it's not as big a thing. But where I was in Arkansas, Missouri, uh, even around here, um, the little tree and feists and the blackmouth curs, brindle curs, uh, the squirrel hunting and the com- the competitive side of it is getting pretty big, huh. and it is a blast. Yeah, I just use mine. She she just kind of wanders around, and every now and then she'll uh, like you know, if one gets on the back side of a tree, I can send her around the back side, and it'll run her back around the front yep. side. And then when it hits the ground, she'll pick it up and bring it to us. But she's not going out and like tracking down squirrels and and treeing them and letting us know where they're at. And so she's mainly a duck dog. Yeah, she's a Boykin spaniel. Okay, yeah, I uh, I got a fella here that duck hunts. That's got a Boykin. Yeah. She, so, I tried to turn her into a pretty much a little bit of everything dog, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's getting big. I don't, didn't know if that was getting big down. That's why I asked about you know, anybody tracking with the, the cur dogs. You know, uh, we, we actually yeah. hunt with a couple guys that are, that run dogs, and they work through NAVDA. Uh, okay. The, the National Versatile Hunting Dog Association, and they, they've got quite a thing. And, you know, these guys are running ducks with... Uh, Vichelas and... Vichelas and, yeah, all kinds of stuff. hairs and... Um, and they're just, they're just supposed to be, they are a versatile hunting dog. It's not just like a lab where a lab is typically, a uh, a duck dog. Uh, although yep. we have a guy who uses his lab and he trails deer. So, hmm. you know, I mean, but, uh, so have you ever done a coon hunting competition? Oh yeah. So tell me about yeah, that. I've done, how that, how, so, how does that work? Okay. So you got two kinds. Well, I'll say, well, basically two guys you got ukc united kennel club um and you're basically hunting for points uh to make a dog night champion and then grand night champion and then there's your big hunts the winter classic the autumn oaks you know it not only do you put points on the dog but when you put the titles on the dog that makes more people want to breed to your dog that makes your puppies worth more and all of that then you got PKC, which is the pro hunting. There's no bench show. There's nothing. It's money hunts. You pay to enter the hunt, and if you win your cast, you walk away with money. So to win a cast, um, generally you'll have a hunting judge on a smaller hunt. If it's a real big hunt, the judge will hunt. But so you'll have a four dog cast. So you'll have you'll meet up at a hunting camp. Uh, you'll break off into your four dog cast, and they'll go somewhere to hunt. Um, you'll go to a creek, a side of a swamp, somewhere like that. You'll get your dogs out, put your tracking collars on them. You know, everything's GPS now. Um, the judge will tell you, uh, you know, you handle your dog, you hold him by the collar and they'll say, go, you turn your dog loose and they take off like rockets through the woods. You're listening and you have to know the, the mouth of your dog. So my old ranger dog's got kind of a deep old, if I hear ranger open up, I say strike ranger. That's a hundred points. Now, he's got so much time, if he doesn't bark again, he gets minus for babbling and that he wasn't actually working a track. So if you strike him, I think it's two minutes. He's got to bark again within two minutes. 
once he starts working that track, if somebody else says strike blue, you know, he gets 80 points. You're waiting. And, you know, so most of these dogs have a ball mouth on track. Oh, oh, and they're working that track. And coons are smart. They're, you know, like a deer that's being run. They learn how to duck and dodge. Um, they'll cross creeks. They'll jump, climb up trees, jump out. They'll just do all sorts of tricks. When that dog or when that coon finally goes up a tree, most of these dogs have a locate. They'll drop it down an octave. So, so they're trailing, oh, oh, and you hear, oh, that's a locate. So that's when you're getting ready to treat. Most of these dogs will break over to a chop. Um, I've seen walker dogs hit 120 barks a minute, where once they go up on that tree, they're, ow, 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 ow. Um, you know, some not as, as hard. When you hear that dog tree, you say, tree my dog. That's 125 points. He's got to stay treed. Is it three minutes, three, five? Uh, it's a number of minutes. And then you walk into the tree. Now, if somebody else trees behind you, he gets 100 points. So that judge is keeping track. Everybody's keeping track of the points. When you get in there, um, everybody will handle their dog, leash them up. And the person who treed first gets to shine the tree. And there's an entire art on how you shine a tree. You can blow a coon squaller, sounds like a coon squaller, and you're trying to get that coon to look or to find it. If you find him, you get what you call plus points. If you don't find him, but there's a hollow in a tree, a squirrel nest, you can get circle points. Um, plus points outweigh circle points. Once you've treed, found the coon, then you handle your dog, you walk about 30, 40 yards, and you'll send them again. And there's a time limit. Some are hour hunts, some are two-hour hunts, depending on what it is. And at the end of night, whoever's got the most points wins that cast. Um, so and then when you win a cast, if you win five casts, you make your dog a night champion. Um, you win another eight, then he's a grand night champion. Um, <clears throat> now, what they've done in recent years, the a lot of guys are kind of moving over to the PKC because of the money. So United Kennel Club, UKC, has started putting money into their hunt. So if you win the tournament champions, that's a $50,000 hunt right there. So some of the payout on hunts is, is pretty big. Um, some of these PKC hunts, I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's dogs out there that have literally won hundreds of thousands of dollars. Golly. And then there's also um, within PKC, you have what you call super staking. So if you super stake your male, that means his pups are super stake pups. So if I sell you a pup out of my stud dog and he wins, uh, a percentage of that win comes back to me. Um, it's kind of like super stake horses. Hmm. Uh, so you can actually dogs, I mean, you can have a dog that's dead and he's still winning money because the pups out of him are winning money. <laughs> it, that, it, that's it, a lot more, uh, there's a lot more in depth to that than I ever thought there would be. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, <clears throat> It's two-edged sword. Yeah, you can go to a hunt, and it can be as good a good dudes as you've ever wanted to meet. It can be out. You can go to a club somewhere, and it can be dirty. Um, I remember back in the '90s, um, at some of the higher levels, there was cocaine money in it. There was it just when there's money to be won, somebody's gonna learn how to cheat. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you know, so there's there, it's it's a continuous argument on Facebook. There's guys out there. My partner, Bobby, is a smart, a coon dog trainer. He's been doing it. He's 73. He's been doing it since he's 10. Bobby's forgot more about coon hunting than I'll ever know. Um, Bobby used to competition hunt back in the day. I think he took second, third place in the Winter Classic. He's had, you know, dogs known nationally. 
he won't go to a competition hunt anymore. He just wants to pleasure hunt. Uh, he wants to hear a dog run a track. He wants to see him tree, he'll shoot a coon out and, you know, give it away to somebody that eats it. There's other guys that just live for the competition hunt. Um, I've been in the woods with dogs that were grand night champions that wouldn't hold a candle to some old behind the barn coon dog. You know, seen it the other way. I've seen dogs that were title dogs that were freaking phenomenal, you know, so so same i get a, a coon hunting book a magazine off of ebay that you found from the 1960s and the same arguments was going on then that are going on now <laughs> you know what's better the competition dog or the pleasure dog and those bench show guys are messing up the hunting breed and you know it's just kind of same uh same old same old groundhog day so now yeah. i know in in it's so fox hunting used to be pretty popular in, in a lot of states like Florida uh, yep. have have outlawed it for the most part. We don't have fox pens here anymore. You can still go run them even though it's not a season, but you can't kill them. Is that something that happens in the coon hunting realm as well? Do you, are you guys allowed to run uh, coons outside of respective season? You just can't kill the coon. Yeah, so I can take right now, and I'm actually contemplating it, um, load my dogs up, go to Fort Benning, turn them loose. Um, on the Georgia side, tree coons, look at them and leave. And when you're on a competition hunt, you don't shoot the coons. You just look at them. Um, when I'm training dogs, or if you're hunting somebody's land that's got farmland, they want them killed. Or if you're hunting deer land. Right. Um, Alabama is 365 days a year. You can shoot every coon you tree. Um, well, Georgia's about to be that way. It's getting close. Georgia's, Georgia's kind of putting some controversial stuff out there here recently. You, know, oh, you talk geez, about the coon yeah. hunting, and then they want to go and... Uh... Was it they're they're trying to buy back a they had a, a wildlife management area that they lost I guess their lease on or whatever they're trying to get to Governor Kemp to buy that property, um, and then you've got a Georgia senator or congressman who is uh, wanting to take guns, uh, basically uh, get guns rid of the Pittman yeah. Robertson get rid of the Pittman Robertson Act. Huh. So, uh, but it, it's interesting the the Pittman Robertson thing is. Uh, it's kind of fallen through. Okay, I'm, I'm ignorant on that. Give me the once over. What's the Pittman Robinson? So the Pittman Robertson is a excise tax is placed on guns, ammunition, a lot of hunting supplies. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the Dingle Johnson Act, which applies to fishing stuff and boat gas, and it's an excise tax. Um, and that money gets divvied so, up between the states. It goes back to conservation. Now, depending on how many hunting licenses your state sells, your state sells um, depends on how much money they get out of the Pittman Robertson Act. Okay. The money that goes to go back to conservation. And the state also has to match the money they get or they don't get the money. Okay. So it's, it's been a, it, it is the way when hunters, when, when you hear a hunter say hunting is conservation, that is what they would, should be referring to. Okay. Uh, that's, that's how the, the money's made. Um, and it's it, it, the whole principle of wanting to take the guns and ammo off that is that they don't want the, the tax on the constitutional right, which to a degree, I fully agree with, but... I would say it's an excise tax, so you don't, personally, don't ever see that tax. The manufacturer pays it. Oh, you you see it. Well, uh, yeah, but I'm <laughs> but, saying, like, when you buy it, it's not like, that's not something that, that's not a tax. Your yeah. it, right. yeah. It's not a tax on that shows up on your receipt. Yes. But yeah. here's the thing, too. Even if they did away with that 10%, you, the, the price of a gun and ammunition wouldn't change. Yeah. Not, not the dime. company would still just, would just make 10% more money. Yeah, that's a, 
so th- there's no reason to get rid of it. And it funds a lot of great things across the entire United States. So it's, uh, it's been met with a lot of opposition from a lot of different, a lot of different groups, ducks, unlimited, um, safari club international, you name it. If there's a conservation organization out there, they're against, obviously against pulling, uh, guns off the, or, or getting rid of the Pittman Robertson act. And they said they were going to replace that with, uh, Gas tax, wasn't it? Yeah, oil tax, gas yeah. tax, some sort of yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Don't tax my gas. No, they it's said they will replace enough. some of it. Some like of that. it. Yeah. Yeah. Already paid enough for gas. <laughs> <laughs> don't need no more taxes. I don't do it. But uh, it, it it's good because well you know with Pittman Robertson the way it's kind of the, the way our country is is kind of gone from from its original inception. There's a lot of uh, sport shooting that goes on when I mean, you got three gun competitions. You got people that just strictly shoot uh, trap and and uh, skeet and stuff like that. Oh yeah, <clears throat> they're not hunting, but they're still paying the the Pittman Robertson excise tax because they're buying things that involve hunting. And that was kind of part of the principle of it is that not all the money is coming from hunting, but, but uh, the large majority of it still is. So. It's not something we definitely not something we want to get rid of, and you'll never yeah. hear me ever again advocate for taxes. Yeah, that's uh, the only time. Th- that's the only time. <laughs> yeah. Literally, the only two taxes that should be in place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but like I said, that makes sense. Yeah, Dingle Johnson as well goes into y- your fishing reels, your your boat gas, your all kinds of stuff. Life jackets, life jackets, life jackets. Yeah. yeah. So I it's paid for. Okay. That from my boat exhaust. That's Probably a good question. not. I don't know. But it goes into uh, a whole nother, you know, all in the fishing side of stuff. And that came after the Pittman-Robertson Act. But the Pittman-Robertson Act really funded everything to where, without the Pittman-Robertson Act, we wouldn't have white-tailed deer to hunt today. Yeah, when uh, after post-World War II, most of these states down here didn't have any whitetail and it was right after world war ii that they started bringing them from minnesota michigan you know missouri and bringing them down here and turning them loose right and a lot of that money came from Pittman robertson dollars yeah and it's a it's it's a great thing and it's not something we want to lose yeah so if if you got email your senator and tell them oppose this bill so that we can get it shot down before it ever becomes anything well, it's a completely different topic, too. Um, all the clamoring about ARs. There are so many people hunting with them anymore. It's kind of become America's rifle. I, just, I don't see it happening. It's, you know. I'm fixing to take one to Georgia and shoot some hogs with it this weekend. That's the easiest yep, thing for uh, me to shoot hogs with. <laughs> yep, that's that's what I used to hunt them with. Um, I used to, and I'm also a competition shooter. I, I was on the rifle team with the Army Marksmanship Unit. I shot the President's 100 uh, Inner Service Championships and all that. I used to shoot all Army. I finished top five all Army three years in a row. Um, wow. wow. I'm not doing it right now, but I shot uh, two gun for a while. I was getting into three gun. I shot on the international skeet team or shot with the international skeet team for a year. I tried out for the world class athlete program and found out I was not world class, but. Uh, <laughs> Shooting is, you know, shooting something that was big to me too. It's, it, you know, the AR platform goes far beyond. I, I think we we talk when somebody says an AR fifteen, we automatically think, you know, five five six or two twenty three, but it goes so much further beyond that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, I mean, my dad has one that he can deer hunt with that's in six eight SPC. Oh yeah, and that's a much larger 
caliber bullet than a 223 and it'll put a deer down easy at 300 yards and then you've got oh, yeah. 300 blackout which performs relatively close to the 3030 but a lot more accurate yep. and it, there's just a, a myriad of calibers that they could be chambered in that you could effectively hunt deer with and that's only with the ar-15 yeah. you add in the ar-10 that's yep. a over, whole nother world. Yeah, it's game yeah. over then. Yeah, I was, I was two lane. lanes down um, from Sergeant First Class Joel Mahalik at uh, Quantico, Virginia, shooting the inter-service championship. So that's Marine Corps versus Army versus Navy versus Air Force. We both shot prototype AR-10s built by Gene Clark, the AMU Armor. Um, Joel shot iron sight, 1,000 yard, uh, with an AR-10. And he nice. beat every Marine, Navy, Army, every person on that range. He beat them shooting iron sights with an AR-10, shot a, a, 200, a 211X. That means he never shot anything outside the 10 ring. 11 of them were in the X ring. So he had a perfect score with 11 in the X shooting iron sights. He outshot every uh, uh, bolt rifle with scopes on it and everything. So, I mean, the capability... That's a man that I would never want to be on his bad side. Yeah, you ain't lying. (laughs) What kind of range? I shot the same rifle. What's that? What kind of range was he looking at? One thousand. With iron sights. One thousand iron sights. One thousand. Yeah, we we shot the one thousand. I wasn't planning on shooting thousand yard, and then uh, Sergeant Emil Praslick talked me into shooting one of their rifles and just do it for to say I did it. And uh, so I shot uh, shot it. I didn't shoot like Joel Maholic did, but um, yeah, he. Man. That was the first year that they shot AR-10s at the thousand iron sight, and like I said, he beat every scope. You're talking, you know, the like F-class rifles with, you know, Palma Palma barrels and night force scopes yeah. on them. Yeah, gun. at a thousand and, and yards. At a thousand yards. I couldn't even see the target at a thousand yards. No, it's funny because I don't wear my glasses. Yep, I don't wear my glasses when I shoot, but at a thousand, I had to to see the the lane signs, so I didn't crossfire. I don't know, Briar. Mm. You, you might be able to see it now. Briar, Briar mm. wore, uh, Briar mm. wore my, the, my distances the, Coke bottles, the quintessential BGCs. Oh, I did. <laughs> they were they were. In, I say BGCs for the people that BCGs. don't know. BCGs. Oh yeah, BCGs. Yes. Sorry, birth yeah, control birth goggles. glasses. Yeah, had them. <laughs> uh, they were about an eighth inch thick. Yeah, them yep. suckers were bulletproof. And he's now yep. gone through two separate eye surgeries, and he didn't have to wear glasses anymore. So we're still here in the studio trying to adjust to seeing Briar without glasses. I've known Briar for <laughs> about yeah. 16 years. Probably 25 yeah. years I wore glasses. Yeah. Did all three of you serve together? Uh, no, no, so, sir. I've never served. Uh, okay. Jordan is my brother. Uh, I know okay. we don't. We saw us earlier on the TV. We don't look related, but we are. <laughs> okay. Um, Briar and I did not serve together, but our times in the service overlapped. Overlapped. Okay. I, I I joined the army right out of high school, and when you were two or three, like you, he was twenty one when he, you went to basic just after I got back from Iraq. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um. So. And then uh, the funny thing that the podcast actually, the whole idea for the podcast started with the guys that I served with in Fort Stewart. Now, none of them, uh, one of them has been on the podcast once. Yeah. Dylan was only on one time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. going to say he's been on twice, but I guess he's only been on once. Yeah. Once. It, Something I was interested in, uh, my buddy Shannon McKinney that got me into deer hunting. 
um, Kansas boy. He ended up going Delta, made Sergeant Major there. He started doing the wounded warrior hunts, um, you know, because he was a I don't know three or four Purple Heart recipient. Um, and then my roommate that got me into bass fishing, he got shot three times when we were in Panama. He had a hole in his shoulder big enough to stick your fist in. And he's been doing a number of those where they take wounded vets um, on fishing trips, hunting trips, and all that. That's I think that's pretty awesome, um, you know, the opportunities that are for wounded vets on that stuff. We we recently did a uh, crawfish boil, and how much money did we give to ten can? Thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. Thousand. We raised a thousand dollars for ten can. Have you heard of ten can? Yeah, uh, when I talked to you on the phone, we were you were discussing it. Okay. Yeah, uh, we recently did that and gave a thousand dollars to ten can. Um, me and Jordan took our mud boats and did the mud boat run with ten can. So we definitely support <laughs> all all that. Yeah. What's uh what's <laughs> the state of Florida does? Yeah, so there's a lot of things for veterans that are outside of. Yeah. Uh, well, wounded. I'm laughing if you said mud, but I'm sitting on my back deck in this light rain, looking at a 18 foot Uncle Jay with a a gator tail on the back. I was like, oh, oh, oh man, got mud yeah. Boats too. yeah. <laughs> there you go. I got a I got a uh, 1744 gator tracks with a mud buddy on it. I got a six, okay 1654 uh, edge with a 35 pro drive. There you go. We got all we got all three uh, bases covered. Pro yeah, drive, I got uh, a yeah. mud buddy. Oh yeah, I do. If I didn't have a Gator tracks, I'd have an Uncle Jay. I, I've got a twelve yep. foot uh, tracker topper with a Yamaha nine nine four stroke on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've seen some boy. I've seen some boys send them tiller handles just like some of them boys send those mud motors. Yeah, I will say, yeah. man, you know, you can't knock. Especially Jordan can't knock my twelve footer because it's pulled yeah. him back. Yeah, a couple times. The only problem with my boat is it's the the it's a thirty five Vanguard. But uh, it's bored out, and it's got pistons and rocker rollers and a cam and dual McCuney carburetors, so it's pushing about seventy horsepower. Oh and, man, I'm I'm pushing about fifty four, so I can't yeah. imagine. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's not always that reliable. So I, yeah. I can tell you, <laughs> but that boat, uh, a couple duck seasons ago, we had Jordan in there. Jordan, you weigh what? About one hundred and forty pounds. Briar at the time was about. Two, I was probably close to two hundred or three hundred. I was about two ninety probably at the time. Good lord, I was about two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty pounds. Dad's far about the same size. I think Dad's about two thirty, two forty. Yeah, all four of us were in Jordan's boat, and it was still doing thirty miles an hour across the lake. Yeah, in deep water. <laughs> yeah, in deep water. So that that seventy horse that that motor gets up and runs. It can run fast. They don't run yep. run slow. But if you want to say if you want to beat him in a race, challenge him to an idol. <laughs> it won't do that. It'll overload and shut off. <laughs> I was not a duck hunter at all. I knew nothing of duck hunting. Knew I mean didn't even uh, consider it. I was deer hunting Fort Benning. Uh, I was I was the uh, executive officer for the Garrison Commander. So this is right before I made lieutenant colonel. Um, sitting by a wooded swamp looking through binoculars and i looked down i was like hey there's a bunch of ducks in that that water down there and uh i don't know just go wild hair so i'm gonna shoot them so i went back looked online i said those are wood ducks no wood duck from a mallard and uh figured out i had to go to the post office get a duck stamp and had to get steel shot i didn't have nobody teach me i just so I went down on the edge of that little swamp i built i uh, found some camo net that was just laying out on fort benning built a little blind and not knowing that it was the level of illegal it was, I put a bunch of corn in the pond. <laughs> uh, 
I went back down, I, you know, read online, you, you know, hunt them at first light. So it's darker than three feet up a bull's butt. And I stand there, I'm waiting for the sun to go, uh, come up and comes up and I hear this whistling noise and these wood ducks flew over. I was like, they just just kept flying. I didn't know they did like a recon and circled back. So I was like, well, so much for that. So I laid the shotgun, you know, I was in footed water, uh, leaned it up against a tree. I had to take a piss. And all of a sudden, I look up, and here's the dadgum ducks flying right at me. And so, <laughs> taking a leak, I grabbed a shotgun and, and shot one. And it's kind of, you know, when the first time you do something and you don't know what you're doing, it generally ain't successful. I was pretty stoked. It's like, I shot a duck, you know. And then the other one flew down and followed the other one. So I water whopped it, and I was like, cool, I shot two of them. And then I stepped off to get them and went armpit deep in water. And, <laughs> um, but I, I got these, and I went to – work we had uh, I don't know, one of the civilians that worked in the garrison office i told that story he started laughing he said you got to meet vernon duck and i was like it must be his nickname he goes no it's his real name he said vernon is like hunts all over the united states so vernon had a mud boat um took me real duck hunt started teaching me i was like i could get into this um but he builds them so i ended up uh got permission to hunt on a civilian lake as a roof pond and Vernon said, I know a guy that wants to hunt with you. Um, he also works on Fort Benning. He's in the forestry department. And uh, I said, what's his name? He said, Mark Bird. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, I got two duck. I got Vernon Duck and Mark Bird. You know, what's the chances? <laughs> I don't know. And uh, so I hunted with Mark a few times and really started liking it. And then I found out I was going to get sent to Arkansas, which is like the capital for duck hunting. Yeah. And I was talking to Mark Bird and uh, I said, you know, I'm kind of getting into this. I used to coon hunt. I like having dogs. I might get me a lap. Um, if I get one, I want to get a good one. And he said, well, I've bred mine to another one of the forestry workers on Fort Benning. Um, he's going to have pups. I can probably get one. I said, well, what's the guy's name? He said, Dave Mallard. <laughs> I mean, this, this ain't a joke. It was literally, there was duck, bird, mallard. And I ended up, I invited all three of them on a dove shoot. And I mentioned that, and they looked at me like I was, I don't know, smoking crackers. Like they never actually figured that out, that they all three had, you know, waterfowl names. <laughs> <laughs> like, you only real with it. <laughs> like, this can't be up, real. I went to Arkansas thinking I was going to get into that, but northwest Arkansas is Ozarks. There wasn't really ducks there. Yeah. Um, I still ended up getting a mud boat, but I do more deer and coon hunting out of the boat. And I've gotten, a, I've started, a, I started it in the summers because I'm a school teacher. I've, uh, I take kids, I want to say underprivileged, I take kids that wouldn't have an opportunity. Um, to fish and I've been getting them out of um, schools where you know, mostly minority uh, populations and I'm taking them and running uh, catfish noodles. Um, oh, that's some fun about, stuff. Mm. Yeah, I've had about 10 kids out this year. Um, I got what, two more weeks till I start back to school. So I'm going to try to get as many crowds back out. And that's, I use my boat as much for that anymore as anything. Hmm. Yeah. When I talked to you the other day, you were getting ready to go run some catfish noodles. Yep, I had. Matter of fact, we just did a fish. I think I told you I did a fish fry and a crawfish boil. Yeah. Um, for kids that have never, I mean, most of these kids have never been on a boat, let alone fished. Right. Yeah. Uh, I got a spot on the Chattahoochee. We run up, tie off to the Victor Drive Bridge. We'll drop thirty to forty, usually within five minutes. We're just baiting them with weenies with a seven foot lead on them noodles. Within five minutes, they're pulling catfish in a boat, and they're just ecstatic. You know, they've never done nothing like that before. You'll they'll catch them. You know, 15 to 30 of them in an hour and a half and then you know teach them how to clean them and do the rest it's 
pretty good time for them. Yeah, that's something they'll never forget, too. Yeah. It beats video gaming. Oh, yeah, oh absolutely. absolutely. I, I can't... I can't get my son. He my my six year old son absolutely loves to fish, to Good. a de- to a detriment. <laughs> <laughs> because I will take that boy somewhere. I'm like, bud, the fish aren't biting here. Well, let's try another spot. No, dad, just over over here, dad. I'm like, dude, we've been here for two hours and you have not caught a fish. That right here, dad. They're they're over there. But I'm like, all right, keep going. <laughs> Put him in that That's little good. put him in that little John boat, and you think you're fishing with Bill Dance. Yeah, he sits up there <laughs> in the front it. seat. Yeah, he sits <laughs> up there in the front seat, like, "Hey, bud, cast over here by that up underneath that oak limb. Over that oak limb, they're going to be hiding in the shade. No, they're not. They're over here." <laughs> oh, okay, well, you, yep. You <laughs> All right, man. Roland Martin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I used to do the tournament bass fisherman. I mean, I bass fished for years. That was kind of the first love I got into in the army as a private, and you know. Up to, I, I don't do it anymore. I don't know. I just, there was, I don't know, the little bass club see much, too much infighting and fussing. And, and then I think there's just so much competition when COVID hit, everybody went to fishing. They weren't working that I would rather take kids and go catfishing or go striper fishing than I would bass fish anymore. You know, that was one of my favorite pastimes on lunch at Fort Stewart. There were so many little ponds. There were two big man-made ponds on the second brigade compound. And yep. they were absolutely loaded with bass. It, it, that lunchtime yep. would hit. I would drive my truck over, park on the side of the road, walk over there and bass fish for an hour and a half. We had like two well, my, or three. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. My brother that's retired out of uh, Campbell, um, his first stint as a Kiowa pilot was at Stewart. And to this day, he still talks about just all you need is just a little old John boat and fishing the little ponds all over Stewart. And he said that those were the biggest bass and just catch them one after another. He'd go out in the evening, you know, use jitterbugs and old-fashioned stuff and catch them. You know, I remember one of my fondest memories that at lunchtime, I had a guy who was like, are you, what, are you gonna, what are you doing for lunch? I was like, I'm going to go bass fish. You're going to fish? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I already ate, you know, I'm, I'm not hungry. I'm just going to go fish for an hour and a half. I don't want to sit here in the in the building and do nothing. I'm not going to go home. Home's 30 minutes away. So he's like, well, do you care if I come with you? I was like, sure. And most of the time I'd catch one, one or two, you know, maybe one or two pound bass. And I went out there that day and I kid you not, not two cast into it. I hooked a daggum five and a half, six pound bass. <laughs> brought it in. I said, I told you, man, this is why I bass fish. Not 10 minutes later, <laughs> he hooked, he hooked a five or six pound bass. And then I couldn't keep him off me. He was with me every every day at lunch. <laughs> we need a recruited one. Yeah. yeah, like find your own pond. Yeah, exactly. On I'm not exactly young anymore. I'm you know, I'm fifty uh, fifty three now, and I I get more enjoyment out of uh, taking somebody else and teaching them deer hunt, taking a kid, teaching them to fish, taking a kid to coon hunt, um, than I do I don't know trying to go trophy hunt or something. You know. We, you talked earlier about squirrel hunting, and that's why we do three to four small game hunts a year. Under Pressure Outdoors does, and we pick some of the, the local wildlife management areas or the national forests up the road from us. And we go, we pick a Saturday, and we meet up before first light. Everybody stands there. We talk. We say, hey, we're going to be back here at this same spot at 11 o'clock or whatever. Go out, have at it. And everybody, we, some people who have no idea... Somebody who's never gone before, they we pair up with somebody who has a better idea of what they're doing. We go out, we have a good time, shoot some squirrels, come back, teach people how to clean squirrels, rabbits, whatever they can manage to bring back. 
Try to get some snipe. Yeah, that last one we had some snipe. <laughs> yeah. Snipe, doves, whatever's in season that we can kill. Uh, yep. Are, are you laughing because you're thinking of which kind of snipe hunter you're actually thinking of there? Well, I've heard that the joke of taking somebody snipe hunting. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about actual snipe. Yeah. That, <laughs> okay. that, yeah. that was I, the, that was the snipe hunting that we that, I knew. I said, he's, he's actually talking about real snipe hunting. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing. They they thought I I thought the same thing too when they first told me oh we're gonna go hunt snipe because I was like yeah, you're not been there you're before, not gonna fool bud. me but yeah uh, but no we have we have actual snipe the birds down here in Florida yep. you kill them in the marshy areas and they taste absolutely if you delicious. like dove delicious snipe is better than dove yeah they are absolutely I just cooked, delicious. Uh, Night before last I just cooked four quail up and uh, quail birds and gravy are about as good a meal as you're gonna mm. eat now tell me. What's your favorite way to eat raccoon? Okay, so uh, I haven't actually ate raccoon. I couldn't tell you when. Um, but the best way to eat them, skin them out. There's four scent glands. you got to cut those scent glands out. Um, the same crawfish boil you use for you know shrimp or crawfish, parboil them in there hour and a half, two hours till they get tender. Then put them on a barbecue grill. Um, or put them in the oven with barbecue sauce for about 30 minutes, and it's kind of like a greasy beef. Hmm. Huh. So I've never it's, ate coon either, but I ate a possum once cooked over a campfire. I thought you had coon at that one. Uh, oh, you're right, I did. Yeah, I, w- I went to a wild game dinner and had coon in a stew. Hmm. Yeah, I gave How four to a church for a wild game, and I ended up not getting to go. Uh, most of the people around here, older African-American people, love the raccoon. Um, I've got probably six different people at any given time and i can call them up and say i got one and they're coming to get it there's a few i'll skin them out for them but most of them i got a retired janitor at the school i teach i pull up in the parking lot call him up he's goes by the nickname of gov the gov i got to him in the back of the truck and he shows up takes them and he probably got 40 45 of them for me last year and Jeez. they have big outdoor cookouts with them and um but i haven't i haven't ate a coon in years we had a we had a lady that we helped out. Jordan played football with her grandson, and we would get them some school supplies and stuff when they were in school together. And every time we we would set like the have a heart traps in the backyard of the house because the coons would come on the back porch and and steal dog food or cat food or whatever was left out there. We'd set them up out there and catch it in the trap, shoot it with a twenty two, skin it out, and take it to her. And she was just tickled pink. You always had to leave. Oh, yeah. a, you always had to leave a paw on it for though. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just uh, it's funny. The one church, uh, it's an independent fundamental Baptist church, and uh, they wanted some, and I took them. And the guy said, "Why does every one of them have a paw on it?" I said, "That's so when you give them to you know folks I give them to, they don't think you're giving them house cats." <laughs> you know, like, really? I said, "Yeah." That kind of makes you. Know, you can look at that and say, "Yep, that's a raccoon." Yeah, you skin them out, and they all look the same. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Heck, I've seen I've seen uh, earrings made out of their wiener bones. Yep, <laughs> all yeah. kinds of jewelry and everything. Stick them in their hat and use them as toothpicks. Yeah, yep. I don't know that yeah, I. Yeah, I've, I've seen necklaces made out. Of, I, man, uh-huh. I, I got four or five of them sitting in the garage drying right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Uh, Some hog dust. A, uh, peculum, I think. Baculum. Baculum. Yep. Baculum. But bears have them too. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, it's a little too big for a toothpick. We need to go bear hunting. <laughs> I don't so, want one. <laughs> I run the uh, 
I run the high school junior ROTC program. I was teaching science in downtown Columbus, Georgia. I wish I'd have stayed with that. I got offered a junior ROTC job. So I was like, oh, I get to put a uniform back on. Science was a much better job, but it's either here or there. So I'm in a rural high school in Alabama, um, and their mascot is the Warriors. And uh, we do PT and drill. You know, I don't know if you got much knowledge of junior ROTC, but there's academics and but I just I have a habit, no matter where I've been, whether where it's active duty or not, I will come up with crazy challenges. And if you win the challenge, you win an award. Um, so there's, you know, certain, you know, do a wall sit and whoever sits the longest, I'll bring you breakfast for three days. But because of the Warriors and it's all that, you know, Native American mascot and all, I brought some fishing line, some 50 pound test braided fishing line and a bunch of colored beads and coyote teeth and all that. But I've got some of those raccoon bones and drill holes and whoever wins the count gets it they have no clue to what they're wearing but they wear it with pride. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh. it's, it's the war it's the warrior necklace they don't know what's on it but they're wearing it so for for our listeners that may think they want to go coon hunting what what would you say is the best way to get into the sport here's another that's kind of a loaded question um one of the things that and I preach on when I'm on Facebook and all that in these groups is if you don't know what you're doing coon hunting, don't try to just break into it because you end up wasting a lot of money. You ruin dogs. Um, the number one thing to do, find a pleasure hunter. Somebody that maybe used to, usually an old man that's been doing it and been doing it a while and just go with them. And if you like it, seek psychological help because something probably ain't right with you but if you like it it just you're you're something different about you hunt with an old man for at least a season have that person help you get an old trained dog when i say old five years or older um do not buy a puppy. everybody wants to buy, run out and buy a puppy i'm going to train a puppy uh, you don't know up from down on training a puppy you're just going to ruin it get an old trained dog and if you really think you're a coon hunter Go out and coon hunt by yourself in the woods at night. Um, do it for, you know, season, half a season. And if you, you know, learn how to use your tracker, learn how to call a dog, learn a cold track from a hot track, learn how to coon hunt. And if you really want to do it, study, there's a few books out there, study up on training a pup, then get you a well-bred, it's all genetics. If you, if you eat garbage, you're going to have garbage. Get a well-bred dog from somebody that knows how to help you get one, pick the breed you want. Um, and train them. And it's, it's about a 20%. It ain't like well-bred Labradors. You get a well-bred Labrador, you can train it to be a duck dog. About 20% of good, solid bloodline coon dogs become coon dogs. Um, it's, there's reasons for that. It's just what you're asking that dog to do is unnatural um, because you want an open mouth dog that in nature, if a, if a coyote is barking as it chases its game, the game can hear where the coyote's at. He's got a better chance of getting away. So it's, that's unnatural for dogs, you know, to be barking at game. That's got to be bred in. Then it's even more unnatural that you chase the game up a tree, that you stink your toenails into the tree and you just keep barking. Because in nature, that would kill you. You'd, in nature, you'd have to say, that game got away, go find something else. Um, but, you know, learn to train a, train a dog. There's, there's different people that coon hunt for different reasons. There's people that just like the pleasure of going out here in a race um, there's people that like to breed. Um, that's, that's a lifetime endeavor right there. There's people that like taking a started dog and finishing it. 
There's guys that, that care nothing about training. They want to buy a dog fully trained and they want to push it in the PKC and UKC hunts. Um, so there's different people that hunt for different reasons. And I still say, get with, you know, don't go out and buy a coon dog puppy and have nothing and think you're going to train it to run raccoons because you're just probably going to ruin it. Hmm. That's now, interesting. Now tell me. If y'all want to hunt, you got an open invitation to come hunt Fort Benning with me or towards the end of the season. If you got a bunch of coons on some deer land somewhere, you call me up and me and Bobby will come down with three, four hounds and we'll deplete your coon population a wee bit. Oh, I'm sure. I have to figure out how to take you up on that one. Yeah. I'm I'm sure uh, if if Jim was here, I'm pretty positive you'd probably have an open invitation to come hunt his place. I'll verify that. Yeah. Okay. But we would, we would love to, love to coon hunt with you. That'd be something else. That'd be something else. Yeah. Yeah. Once, uh, the best thing to do is wait for it to get a little cooler. Um, and let me get the, I mean, my dogs, I try to keep them tuned up in the summer. But there's there's no comparison. By the time I get to late November and I'm hunting four or five nights a week and they're clicking and the leaves are off the tree, that's when you're coon hunting. Oh, well, I'll just make a trip in late November then to wherever you're at. Yeah. Yep, uh, Fort yeah. Benning, Georgia. I got 200 square miles uh, good hunting, and I can take up to 10 guests. I, I know the place pretty well. Yep. <laughs> spent, spent, a, spent a few months of my life there. I never yeah. went to Fort well, Benning. Uh, I got lucky. Well, I was at Fort Knox. Yeah. <laughs> were you in a school at Benning? I was. I went through uh, basic training in AIT at Fort Benning. Okay. I did basic in AIT out at Harmony Church in 1987. I went to Harmony Church as well, but I was a I was a Cav Scout. I wasn't infantry. So when I went to Harmony Church, it was the old World War II barracks, the old yeah, two-story nope. white barracks. Ours were brand new. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm, uh, I was there when we did the BRAC, the base realignment, and they brought the armor school from Kentucky, uh, Fort Knox, down. Um, and, the, yeah, the the new construction and the new facilities is fun. I, I, I drive by that as I go out and hunt off Red Diamond yeah. Road and all I that. Was, I was actually the first basic training class through for Calvary Scout through Fort Benning, Georgia. When when I went through my AIT, because I was a Bradley mechanic, so I went to the armor okay. school, and but mine was at Fort Knox, and okay. that was just before I was maybe the last or next to the last class that did my training at uh, Fort Knox, right before they moved to armor school. Okay, so awesome, but yeah, I spent. Uh, about all in all, see from February to June, there early February to early oh. June there. Of you know, it's funny. I came here in '87, and this was it was still the post Vietnam era. I mean, when I was in the Ranger Regiment, we were still wearing the OG 107 jungle fatigues like they wore in Vietnam, with the old angle pockets, and um, this place was horrible. The I mean, the Victory Drive area, uh, it was just i mean probably 30 40 different strip clubs and just it looked like something out of a movie and so for me as a young soldier that didn't drink didn't didn't do all that you know raised in church and being a christian and all um i hated it here until i started bass fishing and until i started deer hunt never would i have thought back then that i'd be retired here teaching school and (laughs) hunting post so tell me what is your most memorable coon hunting experience? Oh, there's a bunch of them. Um, you want more humorous or more serious? 
That is entirely up to you. Whichever one comes to mind first. Memorable. I'll, I'll go one just absolutely weird, and it still bothers me to this day. Um, so if you uh, are at where U.S. Army Ranger School is and you head north, um, you're going out towards the McKinnon Mount site, you're on a paved road, there's a creek that runs east-west, um, crosses under a bridge. It was 1996. I'd gone to Fort Bragg, uh, came back to Fort Benning over Thanksgiving or Christmas to see my wife's kinfolk. Um, the young African-American kid that I hunted with, Irvin, I linked up with him, called up Bobby, said, hey, let's go coon hunt. And uh, Bobby's son, Brad, would have been about 14. So we kind of had the old crew back together, me and Bobby and, uh, and the two kids. So we were going to hunt that creek. And when you pull up um, to the creek, you can actually pull off the road and park underneath the bridge. So we parked underneath there, um, got the dogs out, got some tracking collars and sent them. And I, I wasn't actually legal to hunt post because I wasn't stationary. I hadn't bought a Fort Benning hunt license. Game wardens don't, ain't out looking for coon hunters. Um, but we were under there and I told Bobby, I said, if somehow an MP or game would just let me talk to him. I said, me being a, you know, officer now, I could probably talk my way out of any trouble. So we got the dogs turned loose and we're sitting there listening. It was, had hard rain and there was a little bit of rushing water. So you couldn't hear real good. And a car was coming towards us. You could see headlights, but you're down under that bridge, so you're not going to be able to see you. We turned our lights off. And he drove past, and I heard him stop. And I said, that must be an MP or something. He probably saw my lights. I said, let me walk up and talk. And Bobby said, you know, he whispered, just stay here. So the vehicle turned around and went the other direction. It stopped on the bridge. Um, but then he took off and went, went back the way he came from. He went down the road about 100 yards turned around, went back, crossed the bridge, turned around, parked on the bridge. I heard the door open. And uh, I whispered to Bobby, I said, it's got to be an MP or a game. Why? So let me go. He goes, no, just stay here. So I'm standing on oh, maybe 10, 15 feet from the water's edge. We're listening. I hear, I saw like a door open and I could see when it had gone by, it wasn't a truck. It was a car, like a sedan and uh, standing by that water. And uh, we're all, you know, me, Bobby and the two boys are standing there, and all of a sudden, I hear a, just a massive kasploosh splash in the water, like it jumped out of my skin. And uh, heard a car door slam, um, tires squeal, and off that car went. So once he got down the road, I hit my coon hunt light on my, my hat and shined in the water. It was kind of white rushing water. I went into the water trying to find out what he threw in there. And them, the boys were scared. They're like, what in the world's going on? I was like, I don't know. That dude threw something, which, I mean, somebody could have thrown a deer carcass. Somebody could have thrown trash. You just never know. But the whole thing just seemed weird. So I went up on the bridge. Um, they followed me. Um, There's a concrete rail about, I don't know, two or three feet tall. And I went up to the rail, and there was blood on the railing. And uh, I don't know why. It was probably kind of dumb. I reached out my finger, touched that blood, and I smelled it. I used to work at a deer processing place. And if you, you know. I've processed hundreds of deer. Um, I was like, that doesn't smell like deer blood. And I started shining everywhere because, you know, if you process deer, there's always deer hair everywhere. Right. And I was like, if he threw deer remains, there would be deer hair. And Bobby said, let's get the heck out of here. And I said, okay. Um, I, it bugs me because I was an officer in the United States Army. I probably should have went to wherever was the closest phone, called 911 and reported that. 
Um, but I didn't, it was just kind of chalk it up as that was weird. We left, drove around, got the dogs and I kind of forgot about it, um, to a degree. A year later came back, I don't know, uh, either Thanksgiving or Christmas, got the same crew up. We were heading up, we were driving by that bridge and I was being sarcastic. And I said, y'all want a hunter to the bridge again? And like, ain't no way we're hunting under there. (laughs) And Brad, that place is haunted. Brad, Brad said, daddy. Did you tell Chuck? And he goes, no, I didn't. Now, Bobby was back then a full-time fireman um, in Columbus, Georgia. He said, you remember last year that incident happened? I said, yeah. He said, the day after, he said, I was on a call. He said, I was talking to a Columbus policeman. He said, they had had a deal um, where they found a car. that was a bullet hole through the back window windshield. There was blood all over. They didn't find a body. And I was like, oh, holy hell. Uh-huh. Um so now it's a year later, which means in the Georgia heat and humidity and all that, there ain't going to be nothing. But I still should have, it still bugs me that I didn't go call 911 then. Um, but it actually, when I started coon hunting and going back by there, I called a um, lieutenant with the sheriff's department down here and I told him the story. And he said, there's absolutely nothing, never, nothing, you know, nothing we can really report now. He said, there, right. you know, it's been. That's 1996. He said, there's nothing there. And um, he's like, yeah, if you'd have called somebody the next day, they would have went out and investigated it. But that was probably, I mean, not a funny story, but that's probably one of the more nefarious or just weird things that has stuck in my head and I ain't never forgot. That's kind of, it's interesting though you bring that up because that's one of those things that you're not going to encounter that hunting in the daylight. No. No. That's, That's the type of stuff that only happens at night. And, yep. and BFE. Oh, that, yeah. That yep. kind of reminds me. Me and Drew was out bow fishing on Lake Dora. And there was a boat. I guess they were, well, we thought they were broke down. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go over there and see if they need help. Because they were like kind of like shining a light at us. At first, I thought they were like, okay, they're bow fishing too or something. And yeah. Th- yeah. Th- letting us know that they're there. And I'm like, they're still shining that light at us, even though we like kind of turned and went away. So I'm like, I'm going to go over there. We went over there. None of them spoke English. And <laughs> like, we were trying to talk to them and like their boat was way bigger than mine. And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pull it, but we'll try. And Drew bent over to get the rope. I'm like, hey man, toss him that rope, whatever, grab that rope for me. And... I guess he had his pistol in the small of his back. Yeah. They seen the pistol, and all of a sudden, miraculously, the boat started. Huh. Oh. I was well. like, that's strange. They uh, they were looking to rob y'all. I'm, yep. It's, uh, it's possible. I mean, it's very, I mean, it, it, it was like. That's, that's a very I odd, I feel like that's a very odd uh, M.O. Yep. But. I mean, it wasn't like. It, it could have just it, been an opportunistic. Like, hey, well, it co- could have also been uh, out there throwing cast nets when they shouldn't have been keeping everything they got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. But it, it could have been something like that. I don't know. But all of a sudden, like, their boat cranked up and it's gone. The speculation. That's the one thing I said about Kunan, if you go and like it, seek psychological. It's not <laughs> normal to be out in the woods at night. Two, raccoons go into the nastiest train that is in the woods. I mean, they're <laughs> going so. There's there's nights you'll be out there and you're like, what in God's name am I doing? You know, I'm 
<laughs> waist deep in, in black muck and briars and brambles and um, but there's just, and then the next night the sun starts going down. You're like, I got to get back out there. There's just, I don't know, there's a weirdness to it. Now tell me your, your funniest coon hunting story. I was up at Fort Bragg. Um, what was dumb? I was a Lieutenant then, um, was dumb as I wasn't hunting my own dogs. I started building a reputation as a very solid trainer. So I had a number of, uh, competition hunters that were having me train their dogs, um, but I was training some walkers for a local guy <clears throat> had got a brand new company commander. Didn't like my previous company commander. The new one uh, was kind of redneck played tight end at West point um, grew up in South Carolina, had run deer dogs and we were out in the field and he was kind of making fun of me about you are probably the only officer in the United States army that coon hunts. You know how redneck that is. <laughs> and uh, he goes, but there's just something about it. I got to go with you one night. And uh, so the first sergeant who was from out West, Oklahoma or somewhere, he goes, I want to go too. And I was like, I'll take both of you. Well, I had hooked up on some civilian land south of there, now down near Elizabethtown with a hunting with a special forces E7. The company commander is a big time deer hunter. He's out in Kansas now. He hunts monster, uh, monster deer. And uh, so it was a twofold deal. They were going to coon hunt with me and... I was supposed to be hooking him up on getting rights to hunt this 500 acre farm with hardwoods everywhere and hunt some nicer deer than the Fort Bray. So I go to pick him up at his house, um, get there. I don't drink. I've never drank a drop in my life. And I don't like being around people when they're drinking. My propensity to punch somebody in the face just seems to go up higher. Um, <laughs> I go up in the day, uh, go up to the house and the first sergeant and the company commander are both drinking liquor. And I can tell they're not like crap face drunk, but they're drunk, you know? And I'm like, okay, now I'm in an ethical dilemma here. Do I take these knuckleheads down um, to this land when they've been drinking? How, how is that going to help his chances of getting land? If I tell him no, I mean, I'm a lieutenant, he's a captain. I mean, how does that look? And I was like, dadgummit. And I was like, okay, I'll let him go. So we, uh, we get down there. I don't know if anybody noticed that they was a little tipsy or not. And I had a young Walker female, uh, PKC Superstate female. It was a phenomenal young dog, but she wasn't fully trained. Um, she went in and treed. I said, something ain't right. She was going treeing right. And I figured she was not a possum. So coons will go up the biggest tree in the wood. The possum will go up a you know small tree. We went in there, and she had a possum tree. I was like, well, I'm going to do a little a little training i'll knock a possum out or get it out and leash the dog back get it up by the dog and and use a little light switch and give him a little correction so i told the uh, first sergeant company commander i broke him off two pine clubs and i said i'm gonna climb up that tree when i knock the possum out when it hits the ground club it and then i've got the dog tied back and i'm gonna do a little training i got the old man that owns the land i got the special forces e7 there so i climbed the tree knocked the possum out the company commander, instead of swinging the club downward to hit the possum, he winds up like he's playing baseball and swings it sideways, misses the possum, and hits the first sergeant right across the shins. Oh, the first sergeant goes to yelling. Well, the next thing I know, I got a full-blown no-holds-barred stick fight going on at the base of the tree, and they're down there clubbing each other, cussing like a couple of wild men. So I had to go flying down the tree, get them broke apart. And the possum done run off. He escaped with no harm to him. 
And I was like, oh, good God, these guys not only have been in a stick fight, I guarantee you, old Mr. Bernie ain't going to let him hunt that land. What was surprised me is uh, Bernie ended up calling the next day and says, hey, you tell that company commander of yours, he's welcome down here anytime. Yeah, they're him and uh, him and that first sergeant, they're a hoot. They can come down. As a matter of fact, they can come down and drink with me if they want to. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't turn out the way I was uh, was hoping, but in the, in the long run, it didn't uh, didn't work out too bad. That, I can imagine that could be quite a comical situation. There. Oh, man. <laughs> I couldn't imagine hunting with my my first sergeant and uh, company commander. <laughs> <laughs> Most people probably wouldn't want to. No. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was a second lieutenant, first lieutenant for Bragg. I was taking a lot of privates and E-5s, you know, enlisted guys, coon hunting. I never took anybody that didn't at least enjoy it. Yeah. Not everybody wanted to go get a pack of hounds, but I think everybody I ever took uh, generally had a pretty good time. Some of them, I had a number of them that, you know, wanted to keep going back, would go regular, but some of them just go once or twice. Yeah. Well, you guys ready to jump into the tip of the week? Yeah. Ready as I'll ever be. I done completely forgot about it throughout the podcast, so. Yeah, me too. So we're back where we started at uh, the beginning of all this. Yeah. <laughs> Briar, you said you had one. Oh, yeah. It's still fresh in my mind, and I'm still frustrated about it. Go ahead. Lay it on us. If you're going to change the exhaust on anything, take about two or three days before you go out there and about twice a day at least before you change that exhaust, soak them bolts down with PV Blaster or something. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe <laughs> you, you break them off or you can't get them out. Or maybe, maybe, you, maybe you shouldn't then, have started it with a Milwaukee tool. No, no, no. no. <laughs> and then after I broke the, first, broke the bolt off, I proceeded to break the extractor off inside the hole i drilled in the bolt twice did you get the bolt out though not yet <laughs> you soaking it now no it's getting drilled out and i'm gonna tap a new hole in it <laughs> he says uh that one's a that one's a half that one's a half and that one's a. well no there's six millimeter so you, <laughs> no, you got you got a eight, six a six a six and an eight it's it, they're eight millimeter the bolt is eight mil eight Eight millimeter by one two five. What's the new one gonna be? Uh it's gonna be standard. <laughs> oh and yeah, I'm, that way that way you need two different socket two two very different sockets, two different socket sets to get it off. That's yeah, a good idea. It's gonna be because I hate standard or metric. I like standard, I hate metric bolts. <laughs> this is America. We use inches. So I'm gonna say that, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier in the podcast. And with the, you know, as hunters united, we stand or divided, we fall. Um, we've got to be very open-minded to the other ways of hunting besides the way that we do it. That yeah. as an individual does it. Because I, I love to still hunt deer. But if I got a buddy who runs dogs for deer and he invites me out, dude, I'm going. Why not? Yeah. Uh, we're working on getting out and maybe going hunting white-tailed deer off a swamp buggy. Ooh. Like, <laughs> sounds like fun to me. Yeah, let's go. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> we're all hunters, man. We're we're all facing the same same problems, a hundred percent. Why? I mean, why? Why would you want to stick to one tactic? Well, I tell you what, I hate the most is when I see other hunters downing other hunters because of the way they hunt. Yeah, 
I mean, that, that even happens even if you broke it down into the still hunting community for whitetail deer. Yeah. You have bow hunters against gun hunters. Yeah. Why? Why? Y'all, everybody's out there to go kill a deer. Right. It's different method, man. You know, and then you got the saddle people. And then, no. <laughs> well, and then like, okay, so you take waterfowl, for instance. There's guys that if you don't wear sicka, you ain't no duck hunter. You know what I mean? I, I'm not a duck hunter. Yeah. I mean, well, it's the same thing. You see it all over the place. Oh, I'm you not, don't have I'm Sitka? Not, I or, am not spending $500 on a jacket. Or they hate you because you wear Sitka. One of the two. They're polar opposites. Yeah. Either you have the guys that are, you ain't duck hunting unless you wear in Sitka. Or you have the guys that are like, okay, shut up, dude. I don't care if you wear Sitka or not. I'm still going to take my pump shotgun and my Walmart camo and go kill a, kill a limited ducks. <laughs> Listen, all I care about is if you will sit still and be quiet. Yep. Yet we still take his son. And, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bored to death. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, when it comes to duck hunting, though, you don't necessarily have to be quiet. Uh, it's not but loud. As long as you'll sit still and bring snacks. You don't, I mean, you, okay, you can talk in my boat duck hunting, but when you get loud, then I have a problem. I'm like, shh, I mean, talk, but talk at a reasonable tone. Do you, do you talk to Liberty that way? Yeah. Tell her to shh. Yes, all the time. She's a very vocal yeah. dog. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> Briar has a duck dog that will sit there and just whine and whine and it, whine. Unless if, you're killing ducks. If unless you're killing, you're killing ducks, ducks, she's on it. All right, Chuck, Jordan, who wants to go next? Dude, I still ain't got nothing. I'm trying to think. Never uh, never go to the woods or the water. As, as important as a cell phone is, never go to the woods or water without a Ziploc baggie with a roll of toilet paper in it. Oh, oh I've used yeah. that one more than once. <laughs> <laughs> the toilet paper in the bag. Oh, and that tip yeah. of the week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> William did that one time and ended up having to use uh, like Clorox wipes. Listen, somebody handed me the gentleman. He's, I said, man, I, I don't have any toilet paper. You got any wipes? And, and old Sidney Curtis said, yeah, I got these wipes. They were alcohol wipes. And I'll give you another tip of the week. Do not ever use alcohol wipes when nature calls. That uh, If you think spicy food, Give you a run for your money. Alcohol wipes are ten times worse. <laughs> but it was clean. Yeah. Oh, it was clean. <laughs> so I, just real quick on the duck hunt. Uh, I only did it a little bit. Vernon Duck probably had the best advice, and he said, "Chuck, there's two kind of duck hunters. There's duck callers. There's duck killers. Be a duck killer." Yeah. Yeah. I, I like a lot of times I have calls and I leave them at the house most of the time. <laughs> You know, especially down here in the south, it's it's one thing when you're out and you're hunting mallards and stuff and, you know, southeast Arkansas and stuff like that. When They're very responsive to calling. But here in the south, the best thing you can do to kill ducks is be, in their, be where they want to be. Yep. Yeah. You can still, I mean, they, uh, we've seen it with, with hunting wood ducks at our, at our old camp that there are times when they will respond to a call, though. Oh, you, you yep. can get wood ducks to respond to a call. They're finicky. Yeah. But down here in Florida, I mean, we have whistling ducks. You can pull whistling ducks from a quarter mile away on a call. Yeah. With a with a regular whistle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've literally sat there and whistled with my mouth and pulled them over to pulled them over to the boat and killed a couple. But Jordan, what do you got? Son, I don't know. I don't know why I'm just it's completely slipping me this week. Don't fail me now. You've had one every week until now. I know. I ain't uh so I'm, 
I'm I'm gonna go with I'm just, this is kind of out of the blue here. I'm gonna say uh, don't discount your calibers when it comes to hunting, <laughs> right? Because I've had plenty of times where I normally shoot my 12 gauge, but sometimes that 20 gauge just pulls through for me, son. Except yeah. for that time that it didn't when you shot and the BBs barely left the barrel. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was probably due to ammo, but <laughs> uh, we we're down in a, a a little flooded timber hole we had in in uh, south central Georgia, and I remember Jordan pulled the trigger and said pop, and I I tell you the BBs didn't go ten yards; they just kind of <laughs> poured out of the end of the barrel. Yeah, <laughs> I've it's, seen that before. It still ejected the shell and everything. Wad came out, but what like, he said though, uh, my biggest deer. Uh, out of New York was with a number one buck with a 20 gauge and my biggest hog was on Fort Benning, Georgia with a 20 gauge. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. The old 20, son, don't let her down. That's right. Yep. The biggest the biggest uh, deer I ever shot, I shot with a 12 gauge slug. Hmm. Could have shot him with a bow. Could have hit him a second time with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time I shot him was a good shot. The second shot was just insurance because I didn't want him to get away because he was so big. <laughs> uh, but he he i shot him the first time at 30 yards the second time he stopped at about 12 yards and i said well insurance shot yeah. him again <laughs> there's another one for you don't be afraid to use that insurance shot i've used it a couple times <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. i agree there but chuck i i really appreciate you joining us this week it's been a great episode and a, a lot of great stories and uh i look forward to hopefully getting up there and coon hunting with you yeah absolutely would you say november hey, yeah uh like i'll hunt hard from november all the way till mid-march um you got an invite just give me a holler we'll set it up and uh come up and we'll get after it absolutely. absolutely i'm all about it well chuck you have a good night thank you appreciate y'all having me on thank you yeah man we appreciate it thank you bye